0: Hello, film fans. Once again, we're joining here to do the Greg Poops Film Club tonight, the 1960 classic by Rene Clement. Purple Noon. Take that music down a little, baby. Once again, we join here at the CineFamily, uh, Los Angeles' most thrilling uh, cinematic uh, convocation, where people gather in the gracious tennis shoe douchebag district to find solace in the silver screen and uh, a respite from our modern world and all the things that are going on outside there's so many things taking place as of the recording of this uh, fine film that we're showing tonight um but really haven't we all come here to escape from it and the answer is yes yeah uh it's not going to keep me from saying that obloviating bizarre orange jam who's a neo-nazi <laughs> homophobe uh uh, it was in a debate last night with a valedictorian leader of the world, and uh, it, it appeared uh, like a, a Star Wars scenario. At one point, uh, he was like Admiral Akbar and went, It's a trap! And that was it. Uh, he fell right into the whole uh, Hillary web of uh, trickery, her Jedi powers of being able to goad him as if he was a four year old with a pituitary uh, condition. The sniffling and the snorting last night, all. I could think of was the next thing he was going to do was do a shot and light a cigarette at one point because it was getting pretty less than zero up there and uh i was digging that if he'd bursted force with a rusty faucet i would have really enjoyed the concert more than almost anything else there's two more reunion shows coming up um they're gonna do the uh, yeah. They're gonna do the Trump and the chills uh, in a couple weeks' time, and then uh, about two weeks before the election is the last one. Uh, by the way, uh, I don't think he'll be appearing in person in the next one. Um, I think a hologram will be sent, or an emissary dressed as a, a bundle of carrots that are disgruntled will be there with a a red squirrel on their head, laying supine uh, and spread-eagled to indicate uh, the follicle area that once existed uh, on the massive plane that is cranioid, which, by the way, is rented from the Russians and financed um, a long coercion with the Chinese and the Saudis. Are you going to be on your phone the whole fucking show, lady, or are you going to watch at any point? Because I don't come to your house when you're watching HBO and stand in front of Game of Thrones with like a little crown on or whatever and prance around and distract you and shit. Really? You have a follow-up email? Oh, you're just kidding now. Okay. Uh, it, is, it is a comedy show so if at any point you feel free to participate and laugh and shit like that um, instead of being in your own weird bizarro mirror world oh no I'm interested to hear this it's, uh, because I'm certain the first sentence is going to be I'm a physician and I have to be on call at all times because if that isn't the answer then there's going to be surus as we say here in the Fairfax district massive surus uh, thank you for putting your phone away uh, if you're listening at home you know what do what you want Right? It's a Greg-free zone. You can look at your phone, you can, do, you know, eat some blueberries with your left hand while you uh, fiddle with the dial on the other hand and whatnot. Uh, if you're listening on earbuds, wow. That's going to be intimate. Then that whole exchange with the phone lady, is going you're, you're just going to hear, ah, 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 from the back. Um, if I could describe the setting here one more time, uh, this is the third uh, Greg Prips Film Club in a row that we've performed and where the um, seat controversy with the city of LA has continued to rage. Um, we're in a movie theater. That is, That can be fairly said. There's pictures of old-timey stars on the walls. There's a screen. There's speakers. There's a bizarre uh, casket on top of an awful thing that looks like the bus and truck company of rope is coming through. And... Uh, outside there's a snack bar with L.A. snacks. Uh, that is to say there's uh, you know, quinoa biscuits and uh, uh, Groove chunky coffee and uh, fair trade fixed break chocolates and uh, whatnot and have you will and as it goes. Um, but where the front of the house would be, where in other words, where you sat when you were a child at the movie theater in the front row uh, with your idiot friends who spit candy at the screen and embarrassed you, but you did it anyway and then you laughed until you peed yourself. Uh, those seats are gone. And uh, what we're left with is um, an area where, if it, this was a Star Trek episode, people would be adjudicating while I stood in that area. Um, I would be in shackles and uh, probably shirtless, which nobody wants, and you guys would be judge and jury on a bizarre other planet, like Rigel V or Triskelion or something like that. One of the awesome... Uh, Star Trek names, where they would take a a bizarre corporate name and mix it with an ancient Greek name and come up with the name of a planet. My favorite one was (laughs) Styrakis. Styrakis isn't a planet, it was a vice president in the 70s. And, thank you, I'll be much, much smarter than you as the whole evening progresses. Perhaps not smarter, but certainly more seasoned, and by seasoned I mean aged, and by aged I mean old, but not so old that I sniff every few seconds. One way, by the way, and having not taken but several seasons of debate uh, when I matriculated, uh, I uh, of course went to a small French culinary school uh, at the outset when I was a child, and then later attended a a polo academy outside of uh, Camden Downs uh, in England. uh, During that period, uh, it was often incumbent upon us to debate the other schools on various issues. And we took the most simple approaches. Uh, This house believes that clothes make the man, things like that. This house believes that war is better than peace, you know, and on and on. But one thing I learned in those debating classes was that um, should the person who has the floor uh, be asserting a point and have their time allotted to them, what you want to do about 10 seconds into anything they say is go, whoa, like that, and make a bizarre unearthly noise, like a water buffalo giving cesarean birth on some fertile plane of the imagination where the lip twitches and all the ephemeral beings gather uh, to haunt you till the end of time. Watching him is like being chased by spirits down an unending corridor of your own demise. <laughs> There's nothing happy or uh, hopeful or even remotely human about the delivery. And yet, there seems to be a legion uh, of whiteness that rises in the night uh, and is his everlasting slaves. They've fealty. Um, and the pledge goes a little something like this. Despite the truth and despite humanity, I swear to you, orange overlord, that I shall. Yeah, and that's where it ends. It trails off. Uh, It's like an H.P. Lovecraft uh, novel at that point. Novel. I don't think he wrote any novels. If H.P. Lovecraft were to have undertaken a novel, the subject would have been named Donald. What you saw last night in the sniffing was a malfunction of his thalamus gland, which any follower of Lovecraft will know is extraordinarily important to the plot of this story. (laughs) Which brings me to tonight's film. (laughs) Years ago, Jennifer and I, and by the way, Jennifer picked this film as well. Uh, I will get a pick uh, before the year's out, I'm hoping. Uh, two years ago, I got Scrooge at Christmas—not the Bill Murray one, but the Albert Finney one. I actually got to pick a Christmas movie, and I picked Scrooge. And she was like, "She didn't even come. She didn't even come." <laughs> I sat and I cried. I cried. <laughs> Father Christmas, Father Christmas, he's the meanest man in the old world. In the old world, is not right? And um, I don't know. And uh, no, I haven't picked one in a while. Um, uh, but next month on the 25th is um, I Walk with a Zombie, uh, directed by Jacques Tournier, produced by Val Luton, and the unit uh, at RKO. Um, it, by the way, uh, spoiler alert, it's wildly racist. So don't hold me to the fire on this one. This isn't a Trump rally movie before <laughs> Trump gets elected, it's simply uh, an awesome uh, voodoo movie from the, the, the day. What were you getting at, Greg? Here it comes. Jennifer and I were in Paris several years ago, and we were sitting in a cafe that's known for its right-wing proclivities. You're not making much of a case for yourself tonight, Greg. I was wearing an armband, a very charming one. It used to be an ancient Indian symbol. And uh, Jennifer had on her thigh-high leather boots and an Ilsa uh, Koch wife-beater. And uh, an Eva Braun grill. Uh, We had rings that said uh, Arbeit, you know, and and in any case, we were sitting there. And uh, uh, we asked if if that was that election, it was several elections ago in France, and uh, um, Sigalind Royal was running for the Liberal Party then. This is before Monsieur Hollande was the Liberal uh, PM of France. Uh, And as you can see, in any case, um, all the right-wingers had been in, and we were talking to the waiter. And we said to Cigley Royal, I'll come in. And he went, in the very Parisian way, because they do have a fucking sense of humor. It is like New York. It's not like you imagine it. If you say bonjour, they'll talk to you. Okay, that's the key to Paris. Just fucking start with that. Everybody's in the crowd's gone quiet now. Well, I went to Paris once and I didn't like it. Yeah, you wore shorts and were a douchebag. Okay, don't wear mandals into the fucking place. And then you'll be treated like an adult. All right. Don't have a Hello Kitty knapsack. Stop being ironic. Okay. Uh, Paris invented irony and barfed it up and then got bored over it and then shagged itself. Okay, and then smoked a hash joint and did a rail and then was elected. Okay, that's how France went. So, uh, whatever you're trying to start there, stop it. Dress like a grown up, and when you walk in, go bonjour, and then go, mmm, doo, 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 doo. and just make noises and point. <laughs> so, uh, Michel Le Pen, he's been out, uh, where, Monsieur Le Pen? Uh, Michel, uh, 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 who was the PM then? And, and, uh, oh, yeah, where, where? Siglin Royale? Hmm. Not yet. Right? Like, she's never coming in. It's like, uh, um, you know, uh, he'll never go to uh, a bookstore on his campaign. Like, you'll never find uh, Crump at, a, at an indie bookstore. He's not going to Madison, Wisconsin, or Bloomington, Indiana, or Berkeley, or Massachusetts and show up at an indie bookstore and go, Where are my lesbians? (laughs) Because his lesbians are casting a spell against him and a stick wrapped in paper. Thank you. One woman had the temerity to lead the rest of you sheep out of this quagmire. So we're at the cafe, and it's a blustery day, and I'm in mean a blustery day in Paris, like late April, May, too late, too early. And, uh, and uh, the wind blows so hard that the glasses blow off everyone's table, spilling red wine and water everywhere on the pavement. The French waiters come out and go, and go back inside. No one cleans up anything, it was fantastic. It was broken glass, uh, just like the song. Uh, by Grandmaster Flash. <laughs> Broken glass everywhere. People pissing in a piece wall. You know they just don't care. And uh, uh, so that's how the day was going. And uh, all of a sudden, out of the, uh, uh, the wind, uh, a Mercedes drives up on the curb. On the curb, mind you. Um, there's those uh, giant, formidable stanchions that the French put in on the pavement to make sure you don't drive up everywhere right before those, the uh, Mercedes goes wha-bang <laughs> bonk and stops and a dude gets out who's in a suit and tie and has a giant head like uh, you would have if you were a mercenary in dafur. or <laughs> Mogadishu was not unknown to you and he's clearly strapped which was unsettling And then the plot thickened. The door opened up on one side and a blonde woman got out with enormous tanned chests and a small dog, a poodle. On the other side got out a movie star and he had a giant dog and a a walking stick and it was Jean-Paul Belmondo. Yeah, he'd had a stroke on uh, his right side and so he was walking with his left side. He bumped into my chair. Uh, I was sitting opposite Jennifer and I turned and he went, pardon At that point, I ejaculated. (laughs) Because I, like you, am sick with this shit. It was the greatest moment of my life. I'm sorry, Jennifer. And he sat down at a table, a couple tables away, and the wife never spoke to him, nor did she look at him the entire time. She ordered an enormous salad that came in an enormous bowl and he ordered a hamburger with an egg on it and french fries, which is coincidentally what I had ordered that day, and I felt justified moving forward in the universe. (laughs) The waiters, who up till now had only been cursory at best, uh, a glancing acquaintance with our table, we had actually written them at one point. I'm gonna wait on that one. Sweet Christ, this is dangerous. (laughs) Is there no thought for safety? Is there no OSHA regulations? Only an empty area where the Star Trek trials take place, where no chairs are because they won't pay the fee to the IKEA or whoever holds the keys to the fucking L.A. furniture controversy that persists in rage and boils and roils all through the summer and into the autumn years. They've had a plethora, nay, a myriad, nay, a juggernaut of stars in this summer, and yet they've done nothing to rectify the chair situation except put a carpet in on a concrete floor. So now it's like being in the multi-purpose room when you were little, but without the reassurance that nothing would go wrong. Harks and alarms. So he eats his lunch and she eats hers, Mrs. Belmondo, and the dogs are there on the sidewalk. And then finally, someone's brave enough to come over to Belmondo. In the meantime, the waiters, as I said, the staff, who'd been negligent at best and intermittent at, you know, at their most, at their apogee, uh, all of a sudden are en masse, en masse, in force, right? All of a sudden, uh, Napoleon is marching on Borodino. And first a waiter comes out, then all the waiters come out. Then a head waiter, who we didn't know existed, came out. Then, <laughs> A cook came out who looked exactly like the cook in in fucking uh, A Lady in the Tramp. <laughs> followed by the ma- manager, followed by the owner, followed by everyone who'd ever worked there, followed by a yearbook. <laughs> and they shook hands with him ceremoniously. And each time he shook hands, he went like this. <laughs> I can't move my right hand. I need to shake hands with his left hand. Then finally fans were... Uh, came from the, uh, the very surface of Paris. But it's right across from Notre Dame, and uh, the Il Saint the Wee, whatnot, so people were poring over, and they could see Belmondo sitting there. And finally, someone was brave enough and went up to him, and he went And he signed it with his left hand. The wife, as at this point, is ankles deep in greens and croutons, right? And her little dog is And that went on for hours. Now we've had dessert, we've had cigars, we've had brandy, we've had key lime pie, we've had croissants, we've left and gone and got ice cream and come back. We're doing everything we can to stay. How long can you stay on one meal? There's a German woman who's sitting a couple tables over from us, and she turns at one point and goes, do you know who that is? And we're like, yes, we know who that is. And she's like, "Mm." She didn't order anything and sat rigid as a tailor's dummy for, I think, three and a half hours. Just like this. Because Belmondo was there. We left eventually and phoned our friend in London, crying with joy. Um, We just ate lunch and Belmondo sat near us. That's enough. So about tonight's film. There's no time left because this is that show. I just wanted a jury moment there. Elendalon <laughs> uh, um, was a teenage paratrooper in Dianbin few. His parents divorced when he was quite young, four-ish. He lived with another family uh, who wasn't really his family. And then he like studied to be a butcher. And all I could think of was when I read that was like the sexiest teenage butcher in Paris, for reals. <laughs> Actually, he wasn't in Paris, south France. Then he joined the paratroopers, the French marines, and he parachuted into Dien Bien Phu, which was colonial France's last stand against the Vietnamese, much like Hanoi, or, or Saigon, rather, when you saw the helicopters pulling people off the buildings. Dien Bien Phu was a fiercely fought battle that was um, hotly contested, as they say, without going into graphic details. He was there as a 17-year-old. And um, then went back to France, and a, a, a groovy, louche actor friend of his hipped him to the whole game like he wasn't an actor. Uh, Selznick saw him and offered him a deal if he'd learned English and he didn't. Because you know what? Um, fuck to the you. And so uh, he got offered a picture and he did it and then um, he did a stage play and then he did this picture with René Clement who is possibly France's greatest post-war, immediate post-war director who, as you know, um, his oeuvre... Uh, doesn't survive the uh, the 70s and 80s he's not as prolific uh, but in the certainly the 40s 50s and 60s he's uh, unbelievable and this picture um, not to go into too much detail because I hate to talk about it too much but French gangster movies resurrected American gangster movies because American gangster movies were tired at a time when the French took them on and Delon's this one and then of course uh uh, Cirque Rouge and Lusamurai. Samurai Ellen Delon's the only movie star we've showed two movies of so far in like five years on this show or four years or f- I just went Trumpian on you here. Uh, in the 17 years we've done this show and by the way this is the most amazing show in the history of film. So amazing that your head will spin. When you see this movie tonight your head will spin. Uh, you won't even be able to focus on the film because of the spinning of your head. <laughs> Many heads will spin and they'll carry on spinning. Uh El uh, Endelon's the only one we showed two movies out of. We showed Melville's Le Samurai, and then he made, of course, the Cirque Rouge with Melville, and then Any Never Can Win, uh, which is the earlier 60s. But uh, leading up to that, it kind of it reinvigorated, right? Once The Godfather came out in the United States, and then, uh, then 70s gangster films took off again in this country. And I think it always takes someone from another country to reinterpret uh, um, the genres. And in any case, El uh, Endelon is a cat that's been starved, and is the most beautiful cat that's been neglected ever. And if it's unleashed on you, um, it's going to show you the greatest loyalty, and then, perhaps at one point, take your life in the night to have what you have. Uh, And that's the story of his life and his career. He's a star who absolutely lives up to. This isn't just a picture uh, that he made that made him an international breakthrough star. This is also almost a semi-autobiographical, and I don't mean that in... (laughs) The the tone and the timbre is what I'm getting at here. And also it's not a dark French film, it's a sunny thriller. And that makes it even groovier uh, than you could possibly imagine. I give you uh, René Clement's masterpiece from 1960, the thrilling Alain Delon in The Magic Purple Noon, ladies and gentlemen.